Welcome to Brown Bag Religion, the MF Casser podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome all of you to uh, the MF Casser lunch today, uh, featuring Jan Olav Hendricks. I guess we all know Jan Olav, don't we? So uh, we're on Zoom today, uh, and there is no meeting in the library, and this is necessary at times. We're in a pandemic, and uh, it's just how it is. So, and I, I suppose we're just like comfortable with its format now, and uh, we're ready to move ahead. So. Uh, Jan Olaf uh, will present his latest book, or it's in fact, as far as I uh, can see, a forthcoming book, which is supposed to be out in Fe February 2022. Uh, and the title of the book is Climate Change and the Symbolic Deficit in the Christian Tradition, Expanding Gendered Sources. I'm really eager to hear about this, Jan Olaf. Um, if you have questions for Jan Olaf, please use the chat function and Esther will monitor the chat. Um, so we're getting ready for like a 30 minutes presentation and then a 30 minutes uh, Q&A after that. Please, the floor is yours, Janula. Thank you very much. Um, thank you also for having me in this week where there are some very important things happening just across the Nordic Sea uh, in Glasgow. And uh, what an apt date for presenting this book. Um, as you know, I'm a systematic theologian and I think that the main task of systematic or contemporary theology is to try to deal with contemporary problems in light of the resources we have available in the Christian tradition. Um, so that's the basic backdrop to why I did this book. However, in light of uh, what we know about the Christian tradition and in light of the contemporary um, crisis with regard to climate, we have to recognize that there is a deficit in the resources that we have in the Christian tradition for dealing with this, because there are actually not many resources at all available for dealing with climate crisis in, in the amount or to the extent that we are now facing it on a global scale. So what I'm trying to do is to develop um, what I call um, um, practice symbols that could help us to understand all of our actions in light of this crisis. Um, in the book, I do that by dividing the um, book into three main um, parts. Um, first of all, I present, before the three parts, I present uh, the deficit thesis, which I already kind of briefly mentioned that there is a deficit in this tradition. That means that we have to expand the sources. And the sources I mainly develop in order to do that are gendered sources, that is sources that are allowing us to dig deeper into how experiences related to um, having a child or bearing a child might be also a way to understand how we relate to the future, because to bear a child under your heart is a main experience that's also relevant for far more than for mothers, actual mothers, it's relevant for all of humanity. And uh, that's what I do in the main third part of this work. However, before that, I, in the first part, discuss how things have changed in terms of seeing things that happened in nature earlier as acts of God, to now seeing most of what happens in nature as something that is caused by humans. That is the situation of the Anthropocene. 
Then I discuss uh, some of the culprits for the contemporary predicament. Um, and I discuss then especially Lynn White, who has accused the Christian tradition of being the main uh, culprit for the situation in which we find ourselves. He then blames the, a religious tradition, whereas on the other hand, and I come to that discussion of Lynn White with um, a discussion of Adorno and Horkheimer's dialectics of the Enlightenment, which um, addresses the culprit totally different. They see it, they see the crisis as the result of modernity's eagerness to control everything, including nature, including the others, including women, and so on. Furthermore, in order to expand the context of the discussion, I discuss what I call consumer idolatry which is basically the um, society in which one relies on and puts one's trust in a consumer society. In the West, a society in which we have based our trust in oil and consumption more than in um, other values. And I use um, <clears throat> notions which also entails that I, I'm calling out this consumer society as based on a heresy. In chapter four, though, I discuss also critically by means of bringing up Robin Weldman's uh, uh, nice study on climate change deniers. I discuss the problem with religion itself being in denial about climate change. And then in the last chapter of the first part, I discuss the need to empower those who suffer and the need for giving a voice to those who lack a voice including those species in nature that we are not able to listen to as we listen to humans. So with all of these different parts of the first part, um, I, um, I hope to establish a kind of context for my discussion. Then in the second part, which is not as large, well, it's large enough, it's 60 pages also, but the book is altogether 280. Um, in the second part, I discuss conditions for what I call symbolic practices, practices in which we all need to be involved. And um, the first of these chapters um, um, discuss then symbols, symbols as ways of mediating practice. And I draw on a lot of different uh, theories about symbols in that chapter. Then in the next chapter in that, um, <clears throat> sorry, in the next chapter in part two, I discuss the conditions for agency based on what we know about symbols. And here I bring about a critique of modernity's detached subject. This is um, a chapter in which I discuss the ideals we have about detachment, about uh, being objective and so on. And I argue that we need to overcome that in order to also overcome the anthropocentric um, conditions for agency, which we find in also very much a modern philosophy. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I um, also argue there is that we need to have not only an emotional, but also a sensual experience of nature as something that can help us to understand the ways in which we are interwoven with nature and how we need to practice uh, our agency within the context of the global as a whole. In chapter eight, um, 
I discuss symbols that could enhance moral motivation. And um, there's a couple of things that I do in that chapter, which I think um, is um, interesting to discuss also with you probably. Uh, on the one hand, I discuss um, the question about whether we should use uh, a stick or a carrot in order to provide the means for moral motivation. And um, I uh, do prefer uh, the, um, the carrot way of doing it. And um, I discuss moral philosophy that might help us in doing that. And here I bring into, um, into the perspective also questions about uh, moral, um, sorry. Um, yeah, I bring into the question about, um, I bring into the perspective question about virtue ethics as the kind of basis for that kind of morality. I also, based on the virtue ethics of, for instance, Linda Zagsebski, uh, argue that we need moral heroes. But un unlike Linda Zagsebski, who uh, points to those um, ideals, which we hardly can live up to any one of us, I ask, uh, I um, suggest that we um, approach what I call everyday heroes, those who we could admire in some of what they try to do in order to help the environment. Um, but virtue ethics will be uh, an important element in um, that and also in a lot of parts of that book. Um, <clears throat> another thing that I do in this chapter and also in the following is that I try to distinguish with between uh, positive and negative symbols. Positive symbols, which we find in, uh, in uh, the religious tradition and also elsewhere, can also, uh, they can only help us in identifying what is wrong. Uh, sorry, I, did I say positive symbols? I meant negative symbols. Neg negative symbols identify what is wrong. And if you want some examples of that, you could, for instance, um, use the, the notion of sin as a symbol that points to the uh, human condition. Or you could have another um, um, image like the notion of hell. Those are negative symbols. They tell us something is wrong, something uh, we should avoid, and so on and so forth. But they do not inform us about what it is important to do um, positively. So the, um, what I try to restrict myself from doing in the book at, as a whole is to um, point too much towards the negative symbols, because I think the positive symbols are those that fit best with what I call the carrot way of motivation. And this is where also the image which I use throughout about bearing a child um, under your heart is a kind of positive symbol for the same kind of attitude towards the future, towards nature, towards that which is close to us, towards that which we are intertwined with, and so on and so on. Um, I close that part with um, what I call an inductive, experientially oriented theology reflection which um, means that uh, in order to establish the basis for all these symbols that I engage here, uh, we need to uh, relate theology and experience closer together. And we need to do it in a way that do not start with theological propositions as such, but starts with experience. So in chapter, uh, sorry, in part three, 
which is the main uh, bulk of the book. I discuss different types of symbols. I discuss God as creator and how that could be a critical symbol. And one of the main things there is to try to show how God and the world uh, are intertwined in a way that does not allow for us to understand anymore God as someone detached from or seen apart from the world. Um, I discuss also um, how creation entails that we are interconnected deep down with the rest of creation and how that entails responsibility. And responsibility becomes the main topic in the book as a whole. Uh, against that backdrop of uh, opening up the discussion of responsibility, I discuss the notion of stewardship, which has been used and also highly criticized uh, in much other literature, because it suggests that humans are in control, that we could steward everything by means of our actions. And I think that's um, something that restricts the perspective that we need to have. <clears throat> In order to develop that further, I discuss uh, the a need to expand the conception of human agency from something that has to do with humans only to all of creation. And um, in that chapter, chapter 11, I develop um, um, the notion of creation's future under your heart, which is the fundamental metaphor that I'm using. Um, when you are pregnant, you have some of creation's future under your heart. And this is something that I develop in the relationship to two um, important thinkers, not theologians, any of them, but very closely related to theology. That is Hans Jonas, who um, speaks about our responsibility for future generations and for all of creation, and also Hannah Arendt. And Hannah Arendt's um, notion of um, natality is one that I bring in um, connection with, um, with um, Hans Jonas. Then I discuss some symbolic deficits in apocalypticism um, and argue for a more presentist eschatology, most constructively, in order to do um, some symbol, uh, develop some symbolic practices. I discusses the negative symbol of sin. And then I um, move on to, uh, in the last two chapters, to uh, talk about caring relationships, in which I um, discuss a lot of different relationships seen from the point of view of being entangled with the whole world and not only with our own species. And uh, the last chapter, and I know that I know on the last minute, yeah, is about sacrifice, hope, and grace, where I discuss, for instance, the need for us to sacrifice something. And uh, in order to um, develop a productive understanding of sacrifice, I, among others, discuss Sarah Coakley's understanding of sacrifice, which she has uh, developed in relationship to motherhood. So uh, the overall thing is that I have um, kind of uh, try to, from a male perspective, understand how um, the experience of motherhood and being closely connected to the future are something that is, uh, is, info uh, is informing for all of us as humans when we face this global crisis in which we now find ourselves. So thank you very much for listening.